You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. My time is yours. I was the last My man standing. For I am the man, and the man feels no pressure. You are facing a fuel-injected suicide machine. Fear from the man that rules the world. I'm the man. When I walk, the ground shakes. I am the master. I am the ruler of the world. You are now entering the vicious circle. Welcome back to the Vicious Circle. Sid, you have a book coming out. Right. Yes, we've been discussing that a lot because, lucky, we have Barry here yet again. How you doing, Barry? Good, Rob. How are you? Good. We touched on it just a little bit, how music is going to play in that book. Right. And that's because it's a huge part of your life. Right. Like, I know, uh, just from my personal experience, the first thing we did when I got here, the very, very first time before we recorded anything, is you took me over and you said, listen to this. Right. And you put on, I think it was, the whipping post. Yeah. And cranked it. Like, that stereo is amazing. How long did it take you to put that together? Well, um, the, the Kenwood, I've had that and that one set of Boss Acoustics. I had it for 47 years. You know, that's the old tube type. That, you know, you can't duplicate that sound. It's just as clear as it gets. And then I upgraded to that Sherwood system and got... <clears throat> that set of Boston acoustics. And then I ran across those uh, JBL 4330s, which is a 15 inch subwoofer. And that thing, move your, you know, move your skin back. You, Did know? you, you were going to say move my hair. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it actually, it, it was shake that vinyl off of album. You know, my wife heard it one time, especially that song called The River that uh, Ted Dardowski. I mean, it's just, everything's just crystal clear. But no, music's, I was telling Barry, <clears throat> Uh, that's what I remember about everything. I, I don't remember dates, but I, I remember what was going on. Like, for instance, when I was in Continental, the music had gone through that phase where it was like, you know, uh, Gone with, uh, Candle of the Wind with um, Elton John, and uh, It's a Sport with John Mellencamp, and then that winter it was like that, and then that summer, here comes Guns N' Roses. You know, remember that? It, everything changed. Yes. And that's what I re- how I remember things. I was telling Barry, it sounds a little corny, but, you know, I remember showing him that old house I lived at at 601 Johnson. I'd always crack my window just a little bit, just enough where I'd get some fresh air <clears throat> and listen whatever was on WHPQ. That was like the number one AM station. Even that silly do- song, I think it was Silly Dan, and you came walking through the party like, you know, it's just I remember those things. And for me, that was somehow I felt like I could get out of that little crack of the window and get out in the yard and get out in the space and be something, you know. But music to me also is such a great tool. Like you can feel really down and tired or something like that and then get in your car or something like that or turn on the radio and feel, you know, hear something and be ready to go, you know. I think it's one of the most magical things there is there is music. Well, and like you pointed out, uh, one song can take you back to a certain point in time. Oh, yeah, but for sure. Now, did you study music like when you were a kid? Like, no, I, um, I didn't really study. What was uh, you no? Know, my stepfather, Travis Darnell, his whole family played music, 
and we wrote music and tried to we'd send them to Nashville, try to get you know you know one taken or published, but we never even got a a, 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 a rejection. But the thing was, you know, doing it like you know, most people on Sundays would have roast beef or something like that. My mother and these were real country people, love them to death. My mother made this dish. It was called rice gook, and it looked like vomit. What it, all it was was spaghetti, and in the place of noodles, it was uh, rice. Which I had this. You know, we all have these texture things, and rice just didn't go good. And then she put this big layer of cheese on it, and then Opal, who you know, my, my stepfather's mother, dipped snuff, and she was eating rice I just wanted to throw up. So Sundays I didn't get to eat. But the cool thing was they'd break out all the guitars and the, everything, and we would just play music all day Sunday. Man, it was just, to me, I, I didn't mind not eating, but it was just, I remember those days. And then, um, you know, just that's where it started right there, you know. Well, that was one of the questions, too, is what instruments did you play? Played a little bit of guitar and played a little bit of drums. You played drums? Yeah. Nice. I still got a guitar in there. Did you, did you still play? I pulled it out the other day. I'm telling you something, man. When you haven't played in a while, it's it's tough to get it. The first thing is getting your fingers toughened up again, you know, because it really hurts doing that. But getting the notes down is pretty easy. Yeah. So uh, what what songs do you know how to play? Well, I, you know, I got the guitar just, it's all black because Johnny Cash. And think about Johnny Cash's songs. And most songs, most, you know, uh, on a box guitar, it's just a riff. It's a one, two, one, two. It's changing chords. It's not a lot of... Like electric guitar, where you're really just playing that one string. So you know, really, you can you know songs can you know a lot of these songs can be pretty simply learned. So with like mostly Johnny Cash yeah, songs, yeah, mostly Johnny Johnny Cash stuff like that. Yeah, gotcha. Well, that's that's good stuff to learn on. Well, live just right down the road, but that's what I that's why I picked it up because I, I was a big fan of Johnny Cash, and so I said I'm gonna play a, you know learn how to play a couple of songs. Now you, I, I know you've spoken to me about Weevil. The radio station that just it's all over the board y'all heard it today yes oh big time uh i like i said i have it on my computer at home really and, oh yeah and it stresses out my girlfriend huge it's fun what of that because there's so many different styles what's your what's your preference what if you could just sit down and take something and listen to one thing the one i think you could the one group of the genre there would probably be Ed Quirkmire, but through the cracks or the many moods of Ben Vaughn. Reason I say that they might play um, Janis Joplin, and they might play Town Van Zant. They might play, um, you know, just really a lot of stuff off the wall. Where <clears throat> you know, in Bashful Bob, and that's one of my favorite. But it's called the Sure Enough Country Hour, so you're going to get all country music. But with Ed Quirkmire and and uh, Ben Vaughn, I mean, it's, and Ben Vaughn is sort of really cool. It's like, listen, Wolfman Jackie goes, hey, I'm Ben Vaughn, and I'm in the relay shape with my partner, whatever his partner is. He goes, we're in parts unknown, you know, and we got our mini records, our mini cassettes, and we're going to take you to this magical ride. And like I said, they play everything. So I enjoy that because it's also a great learning tool. You'll hear songs you never heard. You know, it might be reggae, whatever, stuff like that, but they play so many different things. So on that stance, those two segments are probably my favorite because you hear a lot. And, and believe it or not, there's another one that's called um, The Modern World. They play a lot of stuff like that. And then um, 
it sounds weird, but I like the the pajama party. She plays a lot of cool stuff. And there's one afternoon, I can't remember what it is. And then my favorite of all probably is Melody. And it's called the Music City Reveille. But she plays a lot of modern stuff, like Neil Young. I mean, not, not Neil Young's modern. She'll play Black Keys, you know, Neil Young. Uh, she always starts her day off with Willie Nelson. You know, a lot of Waylon Jennings. It's just, you know, pretty cool. So she's, she's probably the most hip of all of them. I can describe Sid in one word. Eclectic? Does, doesn't follow rules well. <laughs> really? I said pick one, and I think you picked I every know. show <laughs> on that channel. <laughs> well, again, I, I, if you just listen to one, and it would probably be... Probably Mindy Booth's Ben Vaughn because you get such a variety. Very eclectic. Okay. Well, then this next question is going to stress you out. You're on an island with a professor, and he has taken coconuts and built a record player and said you can have three albums. Wow. What three albums would you want to listen to? No pressure here. <laughs> you know what? I'm um, going to pipe in the Jeopardy theme. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> You know, there's a lot of groups out there and, and a lot of uh, albums, too, that have, like, you can listen to every song and really enjoy it. And it would, um, That's a big question, because now you got to figure out, do you want to listen to something you like? Do you want to listen to something for memories? Right. You know? Well, it's the same thing if you ask someone, most people, what's your favorite, you know, the top 10 films, and they can change, it can rotate. Mm-hmm. So same, I mean, if you ask me that same question, I could give you one answer now, and five minutes later, it would change. Like your favorite Spice Girl. Yeah, well, that, we, that we were in agreement on. What, <laughs> what three albums would you choose from? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> like I said, it, it, it would completely change. Let's see. It might be uh, Beach Boys, Pet Sounds, um, Joy Division, Substance, and let's see. What would be the third one? You can't do a best of. That's cheating. Yeah. Um Hmm, maybe uh, Miles Davis, uh, Death of Cool. Oh, very nice. Yeah. What about you, Rob? See, mine would be uh, Concrete Blonde, Bloodletting. That's one of my favorite. I don't know why. Uh, Prince of the Revolution, Purple Rain. And uh, it's, it's a band. His name was, oh, my God, Tony. Orlando and Don. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I nailed it. I can't think of it. It's Tony's. I have the album at home, and it's got him walking towards a uh, UFO, and it's called I Won't Be Home Tonight. That's not Tony Bennett. Tony. Really? <laughs> okay. Leave that with me for a second, because we need to hear your three. Man, you know what? God, this is a tough one. Um, well, it's got to be Johnny Cash album in there. Yeah, of course. Um, Johnny Cash, but... No, the thing, but as much as I like Johnny Cash, I don't know if I'd like a whole, you know, I don't like all his albums, right. you know what I mean? Say, for instance, like, and this is sort of stupid, but like a Journey album, there's not a bad Journey song. You know what I mean? They all, they sort of sound... Oh, I might, I might come up with one or two. <laughs> you know what I mean? They all sound the same. Right. They're not all great, but, you know, like Leonard Skinner. You know, you just don't find a, even almost all Leonard Skinner albums, the songs are all pretty good, you know? Same thing with like John Prine. He don't have a bad song or Lucinda Williams. She always has, you know, pretty good songs. So I'd probably take a Lucinda Williams album, uh, Four Wheels on the Gravel Road. That's a pretty good one. I don't think there's maybe one bad song on that album. And then, um, man, I'd have to, 
you know, just like that um, Junior Kimbrough, but it'd probably be a B.B. King album. Um, I'd want a blues album in there. B.B. King? Yeah. Nice. And then I'd have to do a, you know, Led Zeppelin album. Okay, yeah. You know. You know, honestly, I, I might trade one of those for a Beatles album, too. You're right. Okay, which you one? Know, <laughs> I don't, that's what I'm saying. And it, then it's, I'd either, like, it's either Rubber Soul, Revolver, or Sgt. Pepper, right? Yeah. And then, and then I wouldn't even trade for, like, a Pink Floyd album. Oh, you, God, yes. You know what I mean? Now, like which the, one of those? The Wall? What? The Wall, exactly. Metal. You know so, what I want to do, if we all have time tomorrow, take a little break. Maybe we, if we go get that pizza, there's a, a used record uh, uh, place. Go down there and maybe pick up a couple albums tomorrow. Help me pick out something. Now, one, one thing, I, I had a blast today when we were riding around looking for uh, looking at all the places that you uh, spent your childhood for, no, uh, no, uh, for the book, and we saw a sign that said Black Oak, you no know, five miles, and it never occurred to me that Black Oak, Arkansas yeah. was actually named after a town. I just knew they had the one song. I actually liked it. I mean, I hated Leonard Skidder, sorry, but I loved that one song, you know, Jim Danny. And I said, well, I never knew Black Oak was, yeah. a, was a place. Yeah, right there. And, and, and then later on, you mentioned B.B. King. We actually came out upon that sign. that Remember says, we saw that sign? Right near this spot is where that dance hall you know, burned down that gave him the name of his guitar, Lucille. Lucille. You- and that was so cool. It's like in the middle of all this farmland, and here's a sign. I, I thought it had to be a historical sign about the land, about you know, something about this farm. Did you expect to see a sign of no commemorating BB King? No, because yeah, we rolled up on it, and that was the big letters at the top, BB King. It's like what? <laughs> you know, they just they, they just recently put there because last time I was there, they didn't have that there. So we got to see something pretty cool there too. I didn't think it did look new. So yeah, oh yeah, yeah it was. It was new, yeah. Uh, just for reference, it was Tony Carey. I won't be home tonight. Okay. Well, thank it's, goodness, because that was weighing on I me. I know. I could see you over there stressing <laughs> out. I was thinking Tony Basil, you know, old Mickey, you're so fine. That's his, Not, her brother. Her brother. <laughs> <laughs> so um, even now, uh, uh, this music is a huge part of your life. How does it affect your life now? Man, you know, honestly, I very seldom watch TV with the volume. I get the stereo on almost all the time. I don't even listen to TV. You know, I really don't. And I think and we talked about this earlier tonight. I think right now, music is as best it's ever been for so many different genres. I mean, this, I don't listen to it every chance I get. But I even watched Florence and the Machine one night on in Austin City Limits. I sort of liked that too. You know, there's some there was a few songs I really you know liked she was playing that night. So um, and then have you guys seen? Um, it's a really cool group. It's called. Um, Woody Halston and the business. Hmm. He, it's, man, I've got it tape. We'll watch it one night when you're here. It, it's just really crazy. He played on Austin City Limits the same night that Black Keys played, but he's this really long-haired dude, and he plays the piano and plays the guitar and everything, but it's really heavy, heavy. Uh, I can't explain it, what it's like, but he was. it's really cool. But it's just like right now, that group, it's just some really, really cool shit out there, you know? Uh, that I'm enjoying it all. But, but one question I have: I always try to think of myself as as. See when if I you think, can pull it up, Rob. Woody Halston in the business. R- Rowdy Woody Halston. That's better. Yeah, Rowdy Woody. But he, he's just got some cool shit, man. Uh, but again, it's just like every time I turn something on, it's it's cool, you know. And that's what, what I like about the Weevil. You never hear the same song twice in a day, and maybe not the same song twice in a week. 
but you, you'll hear something, you go, man, who was that Wilco, you know? Well, who was the last band that when you heard, you said, oh my God, this, this, is, this is a game changer? I mean, you can think over a history of, of listening to music. Obviously, for, for me and you and a lot of other people, say, oh, the first time you heard the Beatles. Right. Uh, so, I mean, uh, and then for me, I mean, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of very, very, very interesting music, but nothing I'm thinking, oh my God, this is a game changer. This is going to be uh, impacting and people are going to be listening to this 50 years from now. For me, the last time I think I heard an artist for the first time was the first album I heard of U2. God, it's what? so weird you said that. This is what's so weird. I, I've never off that often on things. We were in Hebrew Springs out in the middle of the lake, and that U2 came on. And I said, I don't know who that is, but they'll never make it. <laughs> <laughs> and, man, they turned out to be the what they are, the biggest, you know. Well, I, I just thought it was a – I mean, I just thought they had completely done something that was very – I mean – I actually think their best album was their third, The Unforgettable Fire. And even though the Joshua Tree after that is what put them in the stadiums and they're still making music today, I, I thought their first, no, two, three albums, no, uh, Boy, War, and then The Unforgettable Fire. That was like, oh my God, this, th they have done it. They have done something. They have punched through. They right. have a sound. Uh, everything about them is just completely different. This is a game changer. Uh, no, other bands obviously when when uh, no, when Grunge, which I hate the word, came around 91, 92, when people right. said the same thing about Nirvana. Oh my God! And, and obviously that was true. This is a game changer. This is going to totally altering how people are going to think about music, and they're leading the way to that. Sure. There's a lot of great stuff now, but I personally don't know if I've heard of an artist or band that I say, "Oh my God!" God, I know this. This this is absolutely flooring me. Yeah, I don't know anybody. Um, I really don't. Now I like a lot of bands that are good, but they're not anybody like you too. Right. They're not something, I mean, I, like I said, it's just you drop everything so this is yeah. unbelievable. I mean, I mean yeah, where, I, where do they come up with that? That wonder, sound is just so different. I wonder if there'll be another band like that. Well, I mean, I think it's getting tougher. I think, I mean, I, I don't like to use the word derivative because it sounds like I'm putting it down. You and I had had a discussion before how there's a lot more you know, retro sounds today, like St. Paul and the, and the Broken Bones and yeah. Fix of the Tantrums are, they're, 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 it's a lot more classic R&B, almost a Motown sound, but it does, it does sound new. It doesn't sound like they're completely. You mentioned uh, Lucinda Williams. Yeah. So th th their sound is, is new and it's themselves, but you can hear you know, very, very, very strong influences from, you know, from those other eras. And I right. think it's cool, but I can't call it a game changer. Yeah, Because what they're doing is that they're, they're very, very well replicating you know, a sound, make, making it their own, but it's not pushing it to the next, to another right, level. Right, Where th this is different. Where you can say, I mean, listen to the Beatles and how their albums progress, their sound changed, the Beach Boys. That's why I said Pet Sounds. You no, know, Pet Sounds influenced the Beatles to know to uh, to record Sgt. Pepper because they said, "Oh my God, look what they've done." Do, do you think if Grand Parsons hadn't died, do you think he might have been able to do something big? Yes. 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 Me too. Because I mean, I was a huge fan. I mean, I I have, I have the a flying burritos. Uh, I was about to say the flying burrito brothers, Poco. You all believe those, I know that. All, all those bands know that know that the California Bakersfield know uh, know, yeah, the know Bakersfield. country rock slash folk sound and yeah. a lot of those same players like Graham Parsons and that they came you know, no, the what? Eagles and things like that Poco, yeah Graham Parsons to me he already was a, a game changer yeah because he created a genre that that completely he actually had a name for himself and uh, no who helped him was Emily Harris right um, and they caught, had a really cool catchy name for themselves like. I can't remember what it was. It's on that country. What, Grand Parsons and the Rumor? 
No, oh. it was like what they, you know, they were calling themselves oh, like trendsetters. Oh, oh. But right. It was a really cool little catchy deal. But I think if Graham Parsons hadn't have died, he would have been the next big thing. Well, I guess to me, considering the bands that he was in and the music that he, that he has done, I feel that he already he did that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of artists that died young. I mean, and a lot of people haven't even heard of them. Like, a, like have you ever heard of Elliot Smith? No. No. Elliot Smith is an unbelievable, uh, I mean, uh, no, folk artist. Uh, who, who uh, he actually killed himself by plunging a kitchen knife into his chest. Wow. But there's a lot of other artists that says, yes, Elliot Smith is a huge, huge influence on me. Wow. I mean, like, he, he wasn't around that long. It's just like, um, like who, who else? I mean, or, or another band that is, is, is an obvious one as far as a game changer, uh, The Velvet Underground. Yeah. No, everyone, the, the, the rumor is everyone, uh, like to say their first album only sold 100 copies, but everyone who bought one formed a band, and a lot of those bands became big. Right. So that's the thing where, yeah, they weren't they, they weren't in the stadiums, they weren't selling, mil- they never had all, obviously huge hits, but they were, you know, they were unbelievably uh, impactful. Right. No, of, of music that we're still hearing today. Right. And that's, I mean, maybe everything's been done and you can't really do something that can punch no right. through. I, I mean, that's, I, I don't know. I mean, right, is there anything that you heard that just completely blows you away to the point where you go, Says oh my Ed God. Ed Sheeran. Like, like who? <laughs> Ed Sheeran, that guy. Ed, we he can count him. Is he a singer? He, yes. I don't I'm know just what. <laughs> he does something. He does something. I don't know what. He was he on did. Game of Thrones. I saw him. Yeah, yeah. But, no, but there's no one cool like Elvis or Dwight Yoakam. You know, there's nobody cool out there anymore. Game, like I said, I call him a game changer. Yeah. Something that absolutely you know, make, makes you stop and say, "Okay, this Man, is I this. Gotta, I got to see this. I, I got to see this. I got to have this." And I'm hearing, I mean, the the, the impact, the influence. Right. I mean, uh, no, like a band like Roxy Music, where all of a sudden there's a lot of bands that all of a sudden they had a sound that was so different. And then all of a sudden that, that spawned a whole a lot of other bands that I really, really like, but they're the ones that started. Right. I mean, I, like, uh, no, Talk Talk, um, um, Ultravox, where they were all called no, uh, no Roxy Music wannabes. They were very, very good in their own right, but that was a, you know, right. a, a type of sound that they pioneered and no one else had done before that. I guess for mine, it would have to be Concrete Blonde. When I originally heard them, to me, that changed my, the way I looked at mood, that really? music. Are you familiar with that? I'm a huge fan of Concrete Blonde. No, I have, I don't think I've heard them. I, I might have. Yeah, no, yeah. no. They had two or three no minor hits. That wasn't one of them Joey. Joey. Yeah. Yeah. And uh they they, they also did uh Caroline. Oh, okay, Caroline and what do they do that they did that uh a Lou Reed cover. Um oh, they did Sweet Jane, didn't they? They didn't they did a cover of Sweet Jane, Velvet Underground and Lou Reed Sweet Jane. That's Velvet Underground. Velvet Underground, but then Lou Reed, when he went solo, also no, 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 did it a lot. He, I mean, yeah. he wrote it for Velvet Underground. It actually really hit in, in his live album, No uh, Rock and Roll Animal. But I was talking about Concrete Blonde. Right. But, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> but I, they say Concrete Blonde covered uh, a Velvet Underground song. See, the only one I know is they did Leonard Cohen. Everybody knows. Everybody. Yes. Yes, they did. And I was just actually just thinking the movie that made that song really popular, which was uh, Pump Up Pump the Volume, up the volume. By, with Christian Slater, with really? a, 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 pirate, a, a pirate underground uh, no, radio station wow. you know, by, by this high school kid, Christian Slater. And, 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 that, was, and that, was, that was his uh, theme song. Wow. Give me a second. There. Everybody know. Well, don't spoil it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, uh, and the movie is great. 
like just to go off on a little tangent for a second, that movie is actually really, really good. Really? Yeah. Like you said, a pirate DJ. A pirate high school DJ uh, who was very, very shy, very, very reclusive, very, very unpopular, but he created this, you know, this pirate radio station and everyone in, in, in his high school listened to it. So he became this underground cult hero. Right. Yeah. Oh. Darn it. That's all I better play for that one. <laughs> for, for royalty rights? Yep, exactly. Yeah. But uh, they did a really good cover. Like, obviously, Leonard Cohen's is more <clears throat> subdued, you know. Well, I mean, it's like Leonard Cohen has, has made the probably number one covered song, which is Hallelujah. Yes. I mean, how many, how many movie soundtracks have had that in there? And, and like what Tim Buckley does, an unbelievable cover of it. And Katie Lang does an unbelievable cover of it, but I mean his is is seminal. And once again, there's a, a case of a song. I mean, I love Leonard Cohen, uh, but there's a song that broke through so much that everyone has to cover it. And if you don't do it well, you're gonna you're gonna get creamed. Really? So yeah, you you better you better have the chops to do it. And if we want to talk about transfer of songs, just by a cover, the Man in Black himself. Yeah. A song written by uh, Trent Reznor. Trent Reznor. Yeah, I yeah. knew that's where you're going. Yeah, hurt. He, Trent Reznor himself, said once Johnny Cash did it, it was no longer his, his song. song. No, it wasn't. Who and was what, the guy that helped Johnny Cash do all that? What was the producer? The produ- um, the producer? Oh, uh, I want to say Mutt Lang, but I don't think that was who it was. Why are you asking me questions? I'm, <laughs> I'm the question asker. Because you had a computer in front of you. You know how to use it. Yes. I think it might have been Mutt Lang. Go ahead. I, I so, think it I or, see, either Muttlinger or it was a T Bone Burnett. Let's see. Uh, hurt. If I'm right, that'll be so cool. And if yeah. I'm wrong, I'll I'll say Sid Sid whisper the answer to me. Oops. J O H N N. I just thought it was so cool the guy went on his way to you know do that for Johnny to, Cash. To, right, to give him songs that he probably what he he also covered uh what uh, Personal Jesus by the best mode and um, Won't Back Down by Tom Petty. I mean yeah, you're right. Yeah, it was just yeah. who, uh, who, uh, if whoever if, did I get it wrong? Yeah, we've all got it wrong. Oh, no. Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin. Oh, yeah. But you know what happened? Johnny Cash's you know, record label dropped him, and he, he said he was playing in Branson, Missouri in front of 50 people, and this guy came along and made him really popular again. Yeah. And that song hurt, man. That was like, I think it might have sold more copies than anything he'd ever sold before. Yeah. That that, that was an unbelievable song. And it was just weeks before he died, too. Right. Yeah, that was the freaky part. When you say performing in front of 50 people, I remember in 1973, I went on a cross-country camping trip when I was 16, and when we were in California, we went to Disneyland. And Wilson Pickett was playing in the parking lot, and people were just walking by, and I'm going, this is, it's Wilson Pickett. And nobody knew who he was. He was just on a little you know, stand yeah. in, the, in, the, in the Disney, in, in, the, in the Donald Duck parking lot area. Right. And just that, this is where his career was at that point. Oh, he, man. He's, just, he's just entertaining people going and coming from their cars. How wow. could they not know who that is? I, 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 <laughs> there you go. I got to get that out from my stereo system. Let the entire neighborhood hear it. Yeah. I hurt myself today 
man. Even that he still had the voice. There's no way you put that through my stereo, is it? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> man. Man, that's awesome. Well, I guess we got two questions left. Okay. And this is your whole influence of music. <clears throat> Did that in any way, shape, or form affect your entrance music while you were through it, going through your three careers? Well, I, I did wear all black because Johnny Cash. Yeah. And so that was my wardrobe. Uh, wardrobe. Um, the, the song that I, I started off with uh, in WCW was uh, a Scorpion song. It was called China White. And the reason I liked it, it had such a long intro, there was never no singing or words. It was all a really good beat. So I said, that'd give me time to get to the ring and back. So that's the, that's the song I used. Okay. Then I guess the last one, and I, I get that too, actually, because the music I used was right. What Kind of Love Are You On by Aerosmith. Right. And that's because it had a great intro. Right. And that was all you needed. Right. Um, how are you going to incorporate all of that into the book? The question of the hour. Uh, it's, once again, since it's a visual and not an audio medium, it's going to be tricky. And obviously a lot of it's going to depend if uh, the person reading that passage in which I mentioned a song that affected Sid very, very much at that time of his life, if they're familiar with it. If they're not, the only thing you can hope for is that the writing and the subject matter is so inspirational and interesting to them that they're going to want to go out, I got to hear what this song is to find out why it was so important to this man at this time. That sounds like a lot of New age. Talk. I, I I don't really have a good answer for it because I really don't know that it doesn't ha it doesn't lend itself to oh here's how to solve that problem. I'm just hoping that it's going to become so apparent when it comes time to mention you know a song or an album or an artist at a time in Sid's life when I know how important it was to him by how he's conveyed it to me that I can convey it to a reader. But yeah, I don't have a clue. I have the answer. Uh oh, tell me. Will be the first book released with a soundtrack. No, I want that. I want a soundtrack. Now, you know, especially with music, too, guys, my uh, my mother's mother, she was a real refined woman um, as much as she could be. She always, you know, kept herself real proper, but proper and everything. But she always had these albums of Dr. Shivago and Love Story. So I used to have to sit there for hours and listen to those albums with her. So I enjoyed all music. You know, I really did. It wasn't just rock and roll. I love the soundtrack like to Dr. Chicago. I, I, I love it, man. I used to sit with her and listen to that all night, you know. Well, how, well how, if it was an audiobook, which obviously is a thing now, and you can incorporate music then, so here's a question for you. What voice, if you, a, a famous person, who should be the narrator of the book? You've only read, obviously, a little bit, because I've only really just started, but you get a little feel of the style and, and, and obviously the context and the content. What voice you want? I mean, Morgan Freeman is obviously an easy answer for anything when it requires a voice. What so, what voice would you choose? You're saying who should be the narrator Correct. for this book? Right, this, someone this, that has a nice, clear voice and but but and fits, speak and fits the content and fits the content. Gee, who's got a nice, clear voice and you know talks a lot? <laughs> Rob, <laughs> that's an idea. <laughs> Boy, there's a, I, <laughs> there it is. There, that, that, was, that, that was a subtle hint. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm surprised you picked up on that. Yeah, me too. I, I didn't want to, you know, just... Anyway, we better get to a question. My time is yours. And for our question this week, we have Benner from Guelph, Ontario. What do you got for us? Hey, guys. Uh, hey, Sid. How you doing? 
Hey, man, how are you today? Good. Good. Um, my question was this. Uh, uh, I've heard some stories and, and about uh, how Randy Savage sort of helped you at the start of your career uh, get into the business and, and sort of point you in the right direction. Um, but uh, I love Randy Savage. He's probably my one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. Um, but um, do you have any funny stories or, or any like stories about that guy like from the road or, or, or from when you were when you guys were hanging out at the start of your career? I do have, not say the start because in the start of my career he was already headed to the WWF and I was you know had been shipped down not shipped down but I got a starting date down in Alabama in the territory called Continental. Now I do have one when I came back to WCW and me and him was a, for a short time were sort of in, in cahoots together. It was called Team Madness, which I quickly got myself out of because I don't like being with groups of people other than myself. I mean, unless I came up with a group of people. and um, But I do remember having a tag match with him on a Thunder taping one time. And uh, we were working with Dean Malenko, and it was either Perry Saturn or Chris Benoit. I can't remember which of the two. And I was, at the time, I was running up a, a bunch of victories to go Bill Goldberg's victories. And so, um, again, here's, here's a good example. I'll tell people this all the time about me being an opportunist. Well, um, Dean Malenko comes up to me and says, hey, Sid, I do a really good drop toe hold. And that's like the worst move in the world for someone like myself. He says, you mind if I do that to you? I said, no, Dean, I do mind. I said, what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to rack up some victories. So what we'll do is when you enter the ring, I'll stop you. And then I'll power bomb you and I'll get a one, two, three. And then whoever the other guy was, I had them come in. I'd stop them and get a one, two, three. And I said, now, Dean, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick you back up and redo this. And I'm going to keep doing it till we run out of time. So I packed, I think I stacked up about five more victories on those two guys. <laughs> so um, now, again, if he hadn't been such a smart ass asking me if I would mind taking a drop toehold, which I did, uh, I would have, we wouldn't have got to that. So when we walked away, what made me really feel good about the whole thing was Randy Savage said, Sid, that was awesome. Now, me and Randy come from the same old school mentality, which, you know, you just had to do what you do, had to do to get over. And um, for him to give me that sort of seal of approval on that stoppage of Malenko and just powerbombing a bunch of times, that was sort of um, a sign to me that I was doing the right thing. You've been listening to the Vicious Circle Podcast. Your host, Sid Udi. Co-host, J. Robert Bellamy. Additional research by Pete Marsh. The Vicious Circle Podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music, Omega Amigo, was by The Shaman. All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi. Sid Udi.